Most people think and misunderstand prophecy thinking that the second coming and rapture are of the same event. They really are not. I hate to think about it, but I suspect that when that shofar, that trumpet blows on that day, that there will be congregations across this world still half full of people. Sure, will come like a thief in the night to the world, to the children of the darkness. But we are the children of light, and we're not meant to be caught unaware. We are in our series, Roadmap to Armageddon, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. Today, if, if I'm not wrong, mm. is all about a word that is never found in the Bible, the rapture. The rapture. Right? I thought somebody might bring that up. It is about the rapture, <laughs> but there is a word that's in the Bible in the Greek called harpasso. I had to set you up I knew you would set me up with <laughs> that. But okay, there's no English words originally in the Bible. It was in Hebrew oh. or Greek, so. <laughs> but, but this is very important, guys. You know, we've taught as the Bearded Bible Brothers online for years about the rapture, but right now, this moment in history is the most important time to talk about that. The church needs to know the truth because we are so close to the coming of Yeshua. There's no time left. It's time to learn the truth. And I believe you're heading to Nazareth right now That's for right. teaching. It's going to be interesting. Let's go there now. Morning, Josh. I know today is about the rapture, but I can't really figure out a location to speak from that brings home the soberness of that event. Don't try to make my breakfast a Bible lesson, brother. I put Jesus' food in my mouth in Jesus' homeland. My food is already holy, brother. I don't need a Bible lesson yet. Oh, it's Jeff. He has our mission. Okay, guys, here we go. You are at the edge of the world. We're going to look at the end of the world as the church knows it. Fascinating stuff. When Yeshua came the first time, people weren't ready, you know. When he comes the second time, we see the same problem. He's going to come unawares. We're going to look in Thessalonians in a moment. But take us to the site of Nazareth. That's where Yeshua began. And what a fitting place to look at his beginning when we consider his end. Just right. That's where we need to go to talk about the rapture. We're going to Nazareth. Sure, Nazareth. Why not? I mean, it went so well for Jesus last time. First Thessalonians 4, 16-18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now guys, the teaching of the rapture has literally been a part of the church since Paul. He's literally been teaching it since then. But recently, the idea of a rapture has fallen from grace amongst the church. Now, what do we mean when we say the church? We're talking about those who believe in Yeshua, whether mm -hmm. you're Jewish or whether you're grafted in Gentile. During COVID, the Western church was really rocked. They got really nervous about what was going on and began to believe that we're living in the tribulation now. 
Mm. But guys, we're not living in the tribulation. We serve a loving God, a good God who has made a way of escape for us so that we don't have to go through that tribulation. So everyone who is in Messiah, who is with the bride, will be spared from the horrors of that seven years. That's right. And I find it interesting that in Revelation chapter 1 through 3, Yeshua is addressing the church to bride at first. And then throughout the entire book of Revelation, it's quiet. There's like crickets chirping. It's all about the saints. But then at the end, the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19, guess who comes? Yeshua on a white horse, and we, the bride, follow after him. So here we have a, a bunch of important scriptures we need to read, but this will back up that narrative that Josh said that we're not reserved for wrath. So right, here we go. Let's see if we can get into Nazareth and his game. <laughs> Revelation 3.10 Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God didn't appoint us to wrath, but to the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.1-10 Paul tells us that we are the children of light, and as being the children of light, we are spared from the wrath of God. But we are also meant to know God's calendar timing for the events that are to come. Uh, so, for example, Josh, mm -hmm. uh, the rapture of a bride and the second coming, we aren't meant to be caught unaware of those events. Sadly enough, if you were to come back today in the clouds, some of us would be caught with our pants down proverbially, <laughs> yeah. not knowing that he was coming. So to understand how that might happen, we've come to the first place Yeshua came where they missed it, yeah. here in his hometown of Nazareth. I'm not gonna lie, I truly expected like a musical number to ensue when Kilb flailed his arms out like the greatest showman, but, but nobody cared. Luke 21, 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Yeshua himself made a way for our escape. He made a plan for our salvation. But guys, let's be honest, prophecy sometimes can be confusing. Take Isaiah, for instance. In the same chapter, you can find something about Yeshua's second coming, his first coming, and a prophecy for today. I mean, if you truly studied the Word of God and cross-reference the Scriptures, then Brother, it wouldn't be so con be sweeter. Mm -hmm. But now that we have the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, we have the power to discern the scriptures and the knowledge of all truth is revealed to us. But prophecy is meant to be confusing to Satan. In fact, Satan uh, got the Romans to crucify Yeshua, but he didn't know he was stupidly playing into Father God's master plan for our salvation. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's a beautiful church. This beautiful facility yeah. is where they believe that Gabriel visited Mary and said, you're going to be Yeshua's mom. But my question is, did Gabriel say that at the 9 o'clock service or the 11 a.m. service or all the services? That's right, in Yeshua's first coming, he was quite misunderstood by not just the Jewish people, but even his own neighbors in Nazareth. The Jews believed that the Messiah had to be this great warrior that was gonna conquer and vanquish the Romans and set himself up as king, ruling over Israel. They didn't understand prophecy that first he had to come to redeem the sins of mankind. He would first come as a lamb, the lamb of God. John 1, 11 through 12. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. They just couldn't see that Yeshua was the Messiah. All they could see was the same carpenter that grew up amongst them. Yeah. It, it made me wonder, if Yeshua was to come back today and walk through these very streets, would they recognize him today? Hmm. Victor, do you understand the kind of things that my brother tries to make me do? Things like what? Well, things like we're in Nazareth today, right? Right. And he wants me to walk around with a Jesus robe on and see what people say. Shalom, we are here in the streets of Nazareth, the streets where Yeshua grew up. They didn't recognize Yeshua as the Messiah when he returned to Nazareth. They recognized him as a carpenter's son. Let's see what they think when they see someone like me walking around in a robe, maybe looking something like him. This was such a cool experience. I actually used to put on a robe several times a year and walk around the streets Friday night, Saturday night. And the responses I got, people coming up who were inebriated or said, I'd never been in church or I didn't like church, but they all said, I've heard of Jesus. And I think that guy's pretty cool. Hear that? Praying to demon gods. Very sad, actually. If I would be mad if more in mourning, so many people are lost, deceived, on their way to hell. Let's get back to the story, Josh. After Yeshua was baptized, he came back to his hometown of Nazareth. And as was the custom on Shabbat, he went to the synagogue. And most people believe this was the synagogue that he went to, this underground synagogue. Let's go in there. Let's check that out. So guys, the entire city was there at the synagogue that day. Everybody knew who Yeshua was. In fact, he was the town carpenter. He was the one who took care of business for them. And so it wasn't an accident that they're like, hey, here's Yeshua. They handed him the Torah scroll to read for that day. And Yeshua found a part in a passage which was prophetically spoken that he would fulfill. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's just say they were none too happy about Yeshua saying that. In fact, they wanted to kill him, this friend of the community, and they decided to do just that. Luke 4, 28-30. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city 
and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So you know I'm about breaking things down, easy to understand. So let's look at this. Yeshua comes back to Nazareth, his hometown. He goes to synagogue. He reads Torah. They don't like what he has to say. They take him up to this hill because they're gonna throw him off and kill him. And then he turns invisible and walks right through him. Let's check out this precedence that they were gonna throw Yeshua off of, because it's pretty gnarly. This is where they took Yeshua, Mount Precipice. Out of their own ignorance, they were ready to murder their own Messiah, the Messiah for all the world. And Yeshua looked out at this great valley behind me, the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Armageddon. He saw his future, the place where he would return one day and vanquish evil once and for all. It's chilling, guys. Scripture tells us that then Yeshua, he literally turned invisible and walked through the crowd and they couldn't kill him. The question we want to ask you today is, will you be ready when Yeshua comes for you, whether he comes in the clouds in the rapture for you or the second coming? Are you going to be ready? He's going to be seen by the whole world as described here in Matthew 24, 30, which says the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. They're weeping and wailing because they know that their doom is sealed. You see, the second coming of Yeshua, the entire world sees him. Most people think and misunderstand prophecy thinking that the second coming and rapture are the same event. They really are not. Because the whole world sees him at his second coming, and in fact, even the beast is anticipating it. He knows the exact day he will arrive. But for the rapture, Yeshua will come like a thief in the night, like in the days of Noah. And no one will be prepared, at least not the wicked. But we want to look at the Jewish telling of the story of the rapture and how we can be prepared in our hearts for when he comes. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-53 Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You know, our founder Zola Levitt was one of the first Messianic Jews to show how the seven feasts of the Lord that were shadows that point to the Messiah were actually fulfilled by Yeshua so that his people could know that he came as the Mashiach. That's true, Josh. Yeshua died on the Feast of Pesach Passover. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the Feast of First Fruits, Yeshua rose from the grave. On the Feast of Shavuot, Pentecost, he sent the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Now, if Yeshua went through all the trouble of fulfilling the spring and summer feasts to the very day, don't you think he might try to fulfill the last fall feast on the same day? Will Yeshua return for his bride on Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets? Will he defeat the wicked and judge the nations on Yom Kippur, the Great Day of Atonement? Will he begin tabernacling with man on the Feast of Sukkot and begin a millennial reign? You know, Matthew 24, 36 says that of this day, uh, the angels don't know that the only one who knows when he's going to return in that moment is the Father. So how can you know the day or the hour if you don't know the day that he's going to return on Rosh Hashanah? 
It's very confusing, Josh. You know, ancient Jewish rabbis from centuries ago and commentators explained that this phrase, no man knows the day or the hour, was a very common Jewish idiom. It's like a saying that was said and correlated with Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. In fact, we know that that day was also called Yom HaKaseh, the day of hiding or the hidden day, as is described in Psalm 81.3. Why does it mean that, Josh? It's because this feast occurred on the new moon and the blowing of a shofar, which began the feast, could not occur until the moon was visible, that tiny little sliver of a moon. And thus, there had to be watchmen that were set to identify this new moon. Two watchmen, two witnesses would have to verify it. They would go before the Sanhedrin and testify they saw this new moon appear. I find that very interesting, Josh, because those rabbis also said that this Yom Teruah, this Feast of Trumpets, was a hidden day of one of two days that was hidden to mankind. It was inherently linked, they said, with the revealing of Messiah. First was the day of your death. The second day would be Yom Teruah, the day of the revealing of Mashiach, Messiah. You know, Colossians 2, 16 through 17 explains that new moon festival is a shadow of the Messiah. Now, let's say you don't believe any of this. Yeah. All right, let's say that everything that we said, you say, no, it's no man knows the day or the hour. We're still told that to understand the season of the Messiah's return, we look to Israel as the fig tree explaining the signs of the times. That's right, guys. In Matthew 24, Yeshua's disciples came to him and they asked, how can we know when you're going to return? Was the sign of the end of the world? And he said, look at the fig tree. Look at Israel. It's the hourglass the timetable that we know when he's going to return. As goes with Israel, so goes the rest of the world. So what you may be wanting to know is, will you take part in that rapture? We want to be taken in the rapture, guys. And once we are, we go before the beam of the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be judged by Yeshua according to our works. This is not a judgment of, of whether our salvation hangs in the balance. It's about what rewards we will get and what position we will hold in Yeshua's kingdom. Afterward, we get to enter the wedding feast, a seven-year wedding feast, the marriage supper of a lamb. And this seven years correlates directly the seven-day wedding feast that occurred on the earth during Yeshua's time. But all during this time, those who are left behind on the earth will have to endure a seven-year tribulation. Let's read the parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of these were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our, our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That's chilling, Josh. It, it's terrifying in a way. Do you know that the bride in that story represents the church, Jew and Gentile that are one in Messiah? 
You know, for many years, pastors said that it's the, the virgins that represent the church, but no, they represent the Jewish people. And it's terrifying that only half of those Jewish people who are meant to be a light unto the Gentiles could lead that bride to the bridegroom Messiah. Only half of them had the oil, the Holy Spirit filling their lamps and were allowed into that wedding feast, but the door was shut on the rest of them. I hate to think about it, but I suspect that when that shofar, that trumpet blows on that day, that there will be congregations across this world still half full of people. Maybe these people are counterfeit Christians. Maybe they were never saved to begin with. They never fully committed their lives to Yeshua. But for whatever the reason, today is the day that you have a choice to choose whether or not you will take part in that rapture, whether or not you'll be left behind to endure the horrors of the tribulation. And if you've read what happens in this time, it's not a time you want to be here for. Instead, you want to be amongst those who made the choice in advance to be taken away in that great moment, in that rapture with their Messiah. Paul said Yeshua is going to come like a thief in the night. In 1 Thessalonians 5, they said he'll be like a thief in the night to the world, to the children of darkness. You, being the children of light, are not meant to be caught unaware that Yeshua is coming. We are meant to be prepared, and we're not meant to be caught unaware. such an amazing, serious topic, but it's one that every person on this planet has to make that decision. Are you going to give your life to Yeshua? Now, talking about the rapture, mm. we've, we've said it's imminent. Some people don't believe in it. The doctrine's actually been in question now as of, as of late of whether or not this is a recent doctrine that only began in the 1800s. That's right. They say John Darby invented this doctrine, but it actually goes back even further, guys. There are documents that have come to light that explain that the early church fathers taught this doctrine. And to discuss this, we went to an expert, Lee Brainerd, who's going to tell you more about this. There's a tremendous amount of evidence in the early church fathers, particularly the first two centuries, mm -hmm. but even up into the fifth and sixth centuries, there's pre-trib rapture references. Um, I was doing research for a different book, and I stumbled across a passage in Ephraim, the Syrian, mm -hmm. which was a, a, a stunning rapture reference. Can I just read one of yes, those? Yes, go ahead. I'd love to hear this. So here's one of the passages I found in Ephraim, the Syrian. For the elect shall be gathered prior to the tribulation, so they shall not see the confusion and the great tribulation coming upon the unrighteous world. Wow. It plainly states the yeah. great tribulation. And you found this in the Greek. In the you, Greek. Yes, and you were able to translate this. You, you have a knowledge and study of, of these ancient languages. And that's just one of, of many. Yes. Uh, what time period was Ephraim the Syrian? Well, Ephraim the Syrian would have been writing in the early fourth century. Early fourth century, but you found earlier writings than that. Oh yes, we found, uh, there's four clear rapture references, pre-tribulation rapture references in the writings of Irenaeus, yeah. who was in the first half of the second century. And we even have pre-trib rapture references in the Didache, which was written probably between AD 70 and AD 100. So it, likely written while the Apostle John was still alive. Wow. And, and for me, who have never heard of Irenaeus, what's his connection? How do we, what's so important about this man? Well, Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of John. So yeah. Irenaeus, in his book Against Heresies, clearly states that he learned his prophetic teachings from the elders who studied under the Apostles. 
I, for one, am so thankful for the difference in rapture and second coming. I'm thankful for the two of you giving us that insight because I think in the church we kind of, I don't know, there, there's so many things. We, do we jumble the rapture with the second yeah. coming and one isn't distinct from the other and I'm like, which one has the trumpet? Is everyone seeing yeah. this? So I'm thankful that you are kind of answering some questions for us and the importance of why yeah. We differentiate between the two. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to ask those questions, obviously. You know, the, we saw the felt board in Sunday school, and, <laughs> and there was no two separate felt pieces for that. And, and, and nobody wants to feel weird, but they are very different. Yeah. And uh, the harpasso, the, the um, catching away of the bride of Christ, uh, is going to happen before the tribulation. And we get that assuredness in the Bible, but we also hear Paul give us that um, when he's talking about the church in Thessalonica. That's right. So it's not just the church today back, the ch you know, during the time of Paul, the church at Thessalonica thought they missed it. They thought they missed the rapture. They thought they missed the second coming, and they were confused concerning eschatology. Say like that Larry Norman song, "You've been left behind." Exactly. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Like, that Where's this all coming? So, yeah. so in Second Thessalonians two, Paul had to set them straight on the timing of certain events, which is very interesting. In verse three, he says, "Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, the second coming, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin." The son of perdition is revealed. So people are saying, well, what does that mean? He's talking about the final day. The beast has to come before that. And he said, well, what about the rapture? How do we know the rapture happens before the beast? The next verse tells us that. 6 through 8 says, and now you know what is restraining him, the beast, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So what Paul is saying is there are certain, uh, I, would, I would say barriers keeping the Antichrist from being revealed, prophetic barriers. One of those is with the capital H, the He, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit that lives within us, keeps the beast from being revealed. Because just one believer, I believe on this earth, could stop the beast from fulfilling wow. his prophetic work. And so yes. we have to be taken out of the way for him to step out on the scene. That's pretty powerful. I have so many questions, but we don't have time for all no. of them. <laughs> but I do want to take the time right now to thank all of you that make this program possible. This program goes literally around the world, spreading the good news. Our viewers make it happen, and thank you for donations. And Nazareth is one of the places that we take you on our tour. The guys were teaching there today. You can find all the information on levitt.com. Join us on a tour. We'll be right back. Our resource this week, the book, What Should We Think About Israel? How do you separate fact from fiction in the Middle East conflict? Theologian, archaeologist, and research author Randall Price provides objective facts about Israel's past, present, and future. Look past the heated debates and discern for yourself what is important to know about Israel and how that affects you today. Contact us and ask for the book, What Should We Think About Israel? We are just about out of time today, but next week, guys, what else is happening? Next week is our third stop in this entire series is about timing. When is it happening? How is it happening? All the details. Well, we believe that there's some precise timing about next, next week's event, which is the Battle of Gog and Magog. Ooh. This is something that's talked about a lot nowadays with everything that's going on. Um, so we're going to clear up some of the details of when that's going to happen next week. And if I can also say a special thank you to Dr. Jeffrey Seif, who used to be sitting on <laughs> this set, for giving the guy some insight and also saying, hey, guys, go here. We love so that. So he did yes. that very well. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Time to go. That's right. 
And as you go, guys, remember to Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As a 100% viewer-funded ministry, your gifts allow us to bring you our weekly television series, social media outlets, website, and other ministry endeavors. Call us anytime at 1-800-WONDERS and ask about this week's resource. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.